Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Good evening and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. I'm Travis Dow. Great news, everyone. I started a podcast that's only in German, so maybe not great news for you per se, but I sure think it's jolly G swell. Americana für euch is the name of the show, and it's only in German, uh, but it's about the life of, you know, us Americans, what it's like to be in the United States. And oddly enough, that kind of fits pretty well to the topic today, because in the very first episode, I did say, um, maybe I emphasized it in the German version, but I did say that, that this show is more than my other shows kind of crowdsourced. Like if you have a good idea, I'll try to put it on the show. And so today is a day like that. Before I start my miniseries on the Franks, I have I now have two chronological, uh, two shows that don't fit in the chronological order. So there's this one, and then uh, next episode also I'll just talk about the etymology of Germany, Deutsch, Teutonic, uh, Alemann, you know, all that stuff. Like, because we say different things in German and English for all those words. So I'll kind of clarify that in a quick episode. But today is a special episode. Um, it's a listener request, let's say. And I will try to do my best to take a very broad topic and give you a really short overview of the everyday life in the GDR, in East Germany. Again, there will be a whole mini-series on East Germany, um, 10, uh, lo you know, longer than my Roman ones, at least a 10-parter, probably 20. I'll go into a lot of, a lot of detail on a, a bunch of different topics. Um, but this is not that. So this will be a quick um, try to give you a glimpse of what it was kind of like. And I'm going to do that by just giving you a couple of different examples. Um, uh, great movies to watch. I watched again Goodbye Lenin and Lives of, I think it's called The Lives of the Others, Das Leben der Andere. In the German version, I even unpacked my best Sunday German because, ladies and gentlemen, this episode goes out to the German class of Frau Tessa and Wright. How's it going, folks? And trust me, okay, I feel your pain. A big shout out this time to Arizona State. And hey, pay attention to Frau Enright, because I'm a gringo too, just like you, or most of you, or some of you, or whatever. I don't want to make any assumptions in this, but anyways, the point is pay attention, because Frau Enright taught me everything I know, for reals, with a Z, scout's honor, or pioneer's honor based on today's topic, but we'll get to that. By the way, for those that do not know, I kind of had to explain this to my German listeners, uh, so Arizona State University, I had to explain, is um, you know, we just call it ASU or Arizona State. And I had to kind of give the definition of what a party school is in German. So your vocabulary list for this episode is Rausch, Draufsein, Kiffen, and for extra credit, Betäubungsmittel. No, do not look that up or ask Frau Enright. I was just kidding. I mean, Frau Enright and extra credit? Or maybe she totally does that, I don't know. But, but extra credit is cheating. 
And this episode also, because I was also once a struggling German student, and I pity those guys so, so much, I'm going to make this episode much more one-to-one. I go a little off track uh, now and then to, you know, try to give you a bit more detail. Um, but I wrote it up in German first using my prettiest and uh, most, more importantly, grammatically correct Sunday German, although there's tons of typ- typos, Leichtensfehler, as they'll say. So I'll, I'll go over it one, one more time. Um, it's not going to be an exact word-to-word transcript, but but pretty close, and this will be a much closer translation than my other shows. Um, because I have gotten feedback in the past that people are learning English or learning German because I do this in two languages. And I don't really recommend it for that because my German's not 100% perfect. I hear it when I edit and I don't fix my mistakes. Um, I'm just, I'm just okay with that. Um, so, but, but still that's, that's awesome that people do do that. I know Germans are, are doing it too, to learn English. I know tons of Germans that listen to the English version of this show. Um, and then maybe the German version to see what they don't listen to. But anyways, this time I will upload the transcripts to the website. So at History of Germany, um, historyofgermanypodcast.com. Uh, that's where, yeah, that's where this will be. So again, don't go ask Frau Enright uh, what crazy words mean like Rauschen and Kiffen because they're in the transcript on historyofgermanypodcast.com. All right, so... The German Democratic Republic, or Die Deutsche Demokratische Republik, so GDR in German, DDR, or or better known as East Germany. So what was it like to live there? Like, what was it, what was everyday life like? So that is a huge question, because of course, the GDR itself lasted some 40 years, yet less changed in 40 years in East Germany than, say, in West Germany or the United States. But it's still really hard for Americans to understand it, you know, how it would be like to be at that time. West Germans can understand it a bit more in some respects. Um, They have witnessed it themselves. It's living memory. They've seen refugees. They might have relatives that live on the other side. And right after the fall of the wall, they could go there and see it if they wanted to. And plus the sudden deluge of Trabanten. Oh, yeah, the Trabant. That's a great example, actually. Or also often simply called the Trabi, was an East German or the only East German car. And if you think about cars, we have many different makes and models. They change every year. And of course, we have such like extras, options, like air conditioning and whatever. Just as an example, take the Chevy Corvette. The 1959 one had these wonderful rounded curves and was two-colored. And now if you can imagine the 1989 Corvette, that was like flat, red, you know, a sports car, and a totally different car. And now, let's look at the 57 Trabant, the first model, the P50, basically a plastic car. It had a plastic shell, two-stroke engine, and in the early years, less than a half-liter displacement. So, like, just to give you an example, take the Ford Mustang, like the 5.0 V8 version, so it's a 302 engine, so it has 302 cubic inches, all right? The Trabant has 30. That's what half a liter is. In one cylinder rotation, the Mustang uses as much fuel as 10 Trabis. And it's a two-stroke engine, meaning it's basically something along the lines of a lawnmower engine. Kind of like the VW Beetle. Kind of like the VW Bug. I guess all you guys in the German class have understood that you've probably never seen anything like a Trabant, unless you've seen a Trabant. Anyways, I'm going to do a whole episode on the Trabant, so let's just keep moving. 
The point is, is that 1989, 40 years later, the Trabant still had less than a liter engine displacement, like minimal external changes, and was still plastic and a two-stroke engine. In West Germany, as well as the United States, you can clearly see the differences in time and places. Um, like, just imagine a brand like Burger King or Fanta, how that looked like in the 60s. The advertising, the logo, marketing, packaging. The 70s, it looked totally different. Maybe even every year, every season. Uh, the 80s, 90s, again, you know, more and more specials, competition, ad campaigns. Okay, now forget all that. Because in the 50s, in East Germany, you got your bread, cheese, sausage, eggs, milk, beer, clothing, the basics. Everything came from state-owned brands. Since there was no competition, no summer clearance, no Black Fridays, no triple ply, forget that. What they had was more along the lines of single ply with splinters, and you had to famously stand in line. Quicker picker-upper? That is something the party did not need. The brands, packaging, um, advertising, everything that was developed really in the 50s, and, you know, they spent money on it in the 50s and tried to compete with a still pretty open East Germany. So East Germany, this was before the Berlin Wall. East Germans were leaving, but they were competing with the West at this point still. Um, but then... Berlin Wall, all, you know, they shut down. There was absolutely travel. You couldn't even, it wasn't even that easy to go from Germany to other socialist countries. You you really had to ask for it to go to Hungary and other things. Because um, in some cases, it was easier to escape from those countries. So, yeah. So anyways, it, everything got locked down. And then once everything was locked down, you have no more competition. All the companies are state-owned monopolies. So there was really no reason for change. What worked in the 50s, why wouldn't that work in the 70s or 80s? So the Trabant is one example. 1989, you were driving a car that looked like it was from the 50s, except it was made out of plastic, less than a liter. I mean, it was a less, was worse liter than a, a worse engine than a Fiat. It was just the, I mean, yeah, it was just ridiculous. So it's um, uncomparable to even American cars. Barely anybody had them. But it's not just your car that looked like it was from the 50s, if you're lucky enough to have one. It was your stove, oven, it was the few appliances you had, your furnitures, everything just looked like it was stuck in the 50s and 60s. In my own childhood, my dad took my family to East Berlin as soon as we were allowed to as Americans. And so I stood there at the Berlin Wall with a hammer and chisel trying to tear it down, but not really even sure why. But already as a, like a seven-year-old, on one side of the wall, I noticed that, you know, the colors were just a bit more noticeable, vibrant, more advertising, different cars on the street. The cars were more colors. And then the other side of the wall, the cars were less colors. Um, it just was gray. And you had what's called these Plattenbauten, kind of like these really gray prefabricated building is not quite the right word is not like a trailer it's you know 15 stories huge buildings um but yeah it's almost like you know one side of the berlin wall was color the other side was black and white is a really simplistic way to put it that's exaggerated but yeah there, there was definitely a noticeable difference and it grew every year so in the 50s maybe the difference wasn't as big west germany was re recovering from world war ii but they recovered fast um so these plattenbauten these these huge 
communist socialist um, buildings. We so in the states we actually had similar ideas at one point in the 70s, and so you can actually compare these if you want to get an image in your head and if you know what the projects of New York look like. That's kind of what Plattenbauten is, though that idea, and you see them so you know big just gray. A platte is so a just a a big slab of concrete. So they're literally in English they would be called slab buildings. Um, so yeah, they're just that's that's what they are. They're just not nothing fancy. They're just for the masses, minimalist, cheapest materials, horrible insulation. Yeah, I've yeah I've I never had to live in one, but I know yeah Prague has them in in the Czech Republic. And actually that's a good point. So to compare, so East Germany. Uh, to understand that as an American is already very difficult, but it's to kind of put it in context. So Berlin, East Germany was the richest socialist country. They were the most well-off. They were the flagship of the socialists. Uh, even the Soviet Union was saying, look, it's working um, for them, at least for a while. Uh, if you go further east, there's way more of these Plattenbauten. In Czechoslovakia, they're called Panelaki, and they're all over the place, especially Slovakia. If you've ever seen Eurotrip, um, but you go even further east. Uh, I've I've still I've been I've I have stayed in Plattenbauten in the Ukraine. No electricity or electricity sometimes. Hot water only in the morning for a very short period, and yeah, it, uh, just bad. And and so there in the Ukraine, which is Soviet Union proper, and to this day you can tell, um, they had whole cities of Plattenbauten, and it's just it's just dreary, sad. Um, depressing, depressing places. So East Germany was not that bad. Um, East Berlin was not that bad. So we're not talking Soviet Union. So not to confuse things even further, but yeah, I don't want you to get like uh, the, the picture in your head of like the Moscovite Russian and the Red Army. Um, yeah, it was, it was, East Germany was different. Um, but yeah, I'll get into all that in much more detail later. Anyways, we're talking small apartments, siblings sharing rooms and bunk beds, um, no built-in closets, very, very small, almost hard to imagine as an American because there's, you know, it's like an, it's, a, it's a, the size of a studio apartment, but it's still somehow split into three tiny rooms and it just tiniest of kitchens possible because they didn't have any appliances, remember? So you need three cupboards, a fridge that's half to a third the size of an American fridge, um, down all the way down to a fourth. No extra freezer at all. No way, because you barely had electricity. You might not even have a fridge uh, in the early days, um, at, you know, post-war. It, yeah, you definitely didn't. Um, so just a more, I don't, I, I don't like the word primitive, but yeah, definitely compared to the West, um, in all kinds of ways, um, not as developed. In fact, if you ever if you ever curious about first world, third world, where that came from, well, GDR and the East Bloc and the Soviet Union was the second world. That's what's meant. So it was different enough that that's that's where that comes from. So there's you know there's the developing countries. You might say this day these days, although that's probably politically incorrect. I it's, it was like ten years since I went to college. Um, everything's probably politically inc incorrect these days. I have no idea. Um, but, but anyways, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was no more second world, really. They, they joined the first world and it's just first and third. Um, anyways, so now again, inside of these Plattenbauten in your little Wohnung, you would, so if you can picture <laughs> kind of, you know, a catalog, if you've ever looked through an old magazine from the fifties or sixties, that's probably the closest style. First of all, that we'll get to the furniture. It's just, 
you know, wooden slabs and some glass and some mirror backings and that kind of thing. But um, not, you know, not shabby necessarily for, you know, it could be pretty nice furniture, especially in like Poland and Czechoslovakia and East Germany. Um, but definitely that style. And then it really didn't change because there was no need to change. The government built them and, you know, mass production, the economies of scale is just cheaper. So just the more of one size wooden board you can build, that's what they did. And you see that kind of repeating itself. You see the same tiles on the streets used everywhere. They In Czechoslovakia, they kept up, and East Germany, they kept up their cobblestones, but they're like so standardized now. They're all the same size. And the metro station is just, you know, okay, that's the tile that, that's the tile and color and style they have, they happen to have that year. And it's just, it's just ugly and just built just for practicality and like utilitarian purposes and aesthetics and all that other thing was just thought to be bourgeoisie and luxury and not necessary and evil and bad and degrading in many ways. Um, everybody was supposed to be equal, but the fact is, is that everybody was equally poor, except for those in the party, but, but hold on. And there's one thing that I didn't really talk about yet, only kind of mentioned in passing, and that is that the Aussies, as they are politically incorrectly called in German, um, they don't appreciate that, but at the time it was okay because there was a wall and they couldn't stop us. Um, but the Aussies <laughs> were indeed governed by communists. Um, I'm not going to really talk about the Stasi at all this episode um, or what that means to kind of live in fear of your government, to live in fear of your party to the extent that they did, to the extent that the Stasi monitored everything and knew what you were doing. It's almost hard to imagine, and they did it to a far greater extent because it was a smaller country, and they were hunting Nazis, and they were, you know, so in, so much closer intertwined to West Germany. It was definitely a unique situation, so they were just, I mean, um, there, were, there, were, there was more legitimate reasons for there to be, um, you know, a communication to some degree between East and West, which Czechoslovakia and other Hungary and those countries just didn't have. There was just, you know, cut off for 40 years. You know, so what you can do is if you haven't seen Das Leben der Anderen, The Lives of the Others, I think it's called in English, I'd recommend that because it's, you know, about, you, you get an insight into the Stasi monitoring. Um, we talk about it quite a bit on the Bohemian podcast. We mentioned the Czechoslovak secret police a lot. So, yeah, I just covered that elsewhere, and there's there's a lot of stuff out there, and I will cover it in so much detail when I do. I kind of don't want to ruin it. So, yeah, so that's just one symptom of living under the party, but that doesn't give you the full picture. So you live in fear, you're being just swarmed by propaganda every way you look, but that's not even... that actually tells you nothing. That doesn't really... that scratches the surface of what it was really like to live there. And it's what's hard to understand, maybe, or why it's hard to understand is that in the United States, we don't, as patriotic as we are, and, and as, you know, um, with the Pledge of Allegiance and everything, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're a very patriotic country compared to European countries, except maybe France. Um, but the, to live under, under a totalitarian party, under a dictatorship, is not something that America is used to. So who are we talking about when we're talking about the communists, the communist party? Or, yeah, or just the party, the party. I mean, there was only one. The party itself um, 
came to be by command from Moscow after the Second World War. The Soviet Union created the party in its occupied zone of East Germany from the SPD and KPD. So the SPD, the Sozialistische Partei Deutschland, and the KPD, the Kommunistische Partei Deutschland, together um, under, you know, direct command by the, the Soviets, because the SPD and KDP fought each other before the war, uh, and then the Nazis banned them. The Russians were just say, okay, you can come back, but you're coming back as the SED, the Sozialistische Einheitspartei Deutschland, the um, Socialist Unity Party of Germany. Now, the KPD, the Communist Party, existed start somewhere like after World War One, it's it's they're the ones that were the most anti-Nazi um, right from the beginning, and the Nazi hated them the most. Um, they're so yeah, um, they're 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 a party that goes way back, and, and that's kind of the old Communist Party, like before the war, before the Soviet Union um, was really yeah had won the war. So they were much more from towards Moscow and and took orders from Moscow. Um, voluntarily. The SED had a bunch of people that really wanted to rule themselves, and Moscow was breathing down their necks, and they and they didn't like that. So it's um, a different situation, a different Communist Party. Um, that's one thing I want to make. And then another thing is that, yeah, we don't... Okay, so we still, Americans, don't know what it means to live under a dictatorship or a totalitarian uh, government, where the, gov you know, the, the government just says you do this and you just do, or or you die in many cases, so or end up in prison. So what it mean what what a party even meant in a German sense. So in America we have a very bad idea of of what that even means in Germany because you know we got like a like folks in your age have like a 20% turnout rate or something when you vote. Um, it's not even like you probably if you look to the person next to you, you might not know if they're a Republican or Democrat, probably Democrat because they're at ASU. Um, but still, I'm just saying like you, it's not obvious, it's not written on your forehead unless the guy's like wearing tattoos or, or I don't know, a suit on Fox News or something. Um, but in Germany, it really, really was. Everybody knew. So to give you a picture of what party meant, I got to go a little bit further back and kind of put it a little bit into context. Otherwise, you're not going to even begin to understand the SED. So before the war, when there were many parties, but these parties were people lived and breathed their party from an early age. If your dad was a communist, part of the KDP, you also joined at a very early age, you joined the football, the, the uh, soccer club for your age of that party and the, you know, the red team. And the other team, the, the light red team, the SPD, they joined their soccer team and the brown team were the Nazis before the war. And then there was other ones, but they were basically ignored. It was those three for the most part. Um, there were other ones, and other other ones, in fact, um, that that formed coalition politically and played a role in that manner. But in this way, it's different. So these three parties were huge, and they they were organized extremely well, um, and had massive popular support. And if you understand the implications of this, that means that. Children are not playing soccer together. They're literally playing soccer against each other on different teams. Not just soccer, but you want to join the Boy Scouts? Cool. Uh, SPD joined the Pfadfinder, which is the German word still used today for Boy Scouts. And the Pfadfinder movement has roots back to the 19th century. Um, and if you were 
part of if your father was in the KPD, the KPD, then you joined the Pioniere, and Pioniere is um, like pioneer. Um, those were so that word is what the Russians used. It's what the Czechs and Slovaks used to this day. Still, uh, Poland. If you join the Boy Scouts today, you're joining the Pioniere, um, but not many do because now it's seen seen as a very communist thing. Um, very, very. So it, it almost doesn't exist anymore. Uh, in Germany, it does. Um, but uh, to a lesser extent, it doesn't in America, because if your father was a Nazi, then the brown shirt, the Nazi version of the Boy Scouts was called the Hitler Jugend, the Hitler Youth. That's where that comes from. It's that's the that's the they're the Boy Scouts for that party. Um, every party had one. Pionia, so Fatfinda, where you didn't get that that awesome dagger, but um, you got a uniform. And and by the way, Hitler Youth, yeah, they did get that awesome dagger, and they did have a snazzier uniform that, and they got more badges and such. And children, in fact, um, the, well, the ones that weren't raised properly, did in fact envy this of of the other kids and wanted to join the Hitler Youth. That was it was a big pull for little children. Um, and so the and the parents had to be very careful about how they warned against this because you know if you were uh, late in late in the later years it was just yeah you had to keep your mouth shut be very be very careful what you tell your children because if they say the wrong thing at school you'll have the gestapo knocking on your door okay now so now that you kind of get that background that's so child so you, your soccer game you're all growing up you're still your union labor party at your at your factory you might be working next to a nazi on one side and spd on the other you as a communist um but but your labor you're going to be in three different labor parties labor unions and they're they're party backed and when there's riots when they're when the party needs your help the labor unions are 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 there to help you know so there's so just the riots i mean imagine democrats and republicans duking it out in the streets because that was an everyday affair in the 20s and 30s it was just um gangsters of of chicago but politically speaking and and you know massive wars and brawls so yeah just gang wars between political parties the the whole country was just so politicized newspapers much like fox or nbc except in a way more extreme way were just directly owned or supported you know one party or the other and and um um, so people read different news and this was you know before tv so yeah definitely uh you know everybody definitely had a different worldview of the world how things work and how things should work and just everybody else was wrong and to the point where they were willing willing to die for it in some cases and okay so as okay so now you're starting to get that live and breathe party this is a this is a german idea already and now the communists take this and say okay now it's mandatory now there's only one party left but that doesn't change anything you have to be just as gung ho about it as if you're competing against the nazis or the you know because you're competing against the west you have to show the west so they they showed up in massive massive gymnastics um events and stadiums and would i just crazy stuff and you know dances and songs and these like folk very nice kind of folkish um sort of uh, rituals nice i don't know i mean boring as hell uh to most people but but if you've never seen it before it would be something to watch absolutely um but most people were just would be happy to have an excuse to not go because it would take up all day it would take up the patai talk the party day um 
you know, as in not party day, like the, the political party day, it sucked. It wasn't a party. You, you know, the whole country had to show up and do these things. And, um, but not like 4th of July where you're having a barbecue. No, it's like line up, stand up, you know, your best and, and let's sing this patriotic song. And, um, that's, that's why pledge of allegiance to me is like super sketchy, by the way, like that's just, whoa, super Nazi and, or this, um, it is like, it, it just is. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, whoo, super not cool. So that, that's what the essay day was like. Um, so pledge of allegiance, but like five times a day. Um, and then, you know, once a month you're doing that all, you're doing pledge of allegiance type sketchy stuff all day. And, and yeah, just whoa, bad stuff, evil, evil stuff. But anyways, again, essay day and all that stuff and, and their rise and well, their, their, their policies throughout the years, it all changed, which means your everyday life changed towards the end. You, you could visit more, you had more, um, you know, slightly more contact to the outside, sometimes without the party's permission, because once TVs did start showing up in households, and in the 80s, people kind of basically had a TV, even, even if it was a crappy one, the, the West German channels, and from West Berlin, those, and even from Austria into, the, into Czechoslovakia and Hungary and all that stuff, um, those radio channels would reach far across the borders. And East German TVs would be set and radios would be set so they wouldn't work, but everybody knew somebody that could take out that little um, thing that, that locked those channels, and, and or some, sometimes they just did work um, if you bought your radio in an intershop, but hold on. Um, so yeah, there was there was way to, ways to get around censorships and, and that kind of thing, especially in the later years. At first, not. Um, so yeah, that, that all changes your daily life. And, and so some examples that you might hear from the fifties and sixties, especially some of the brutal ones uh, of what it was like to live under communism, they, especially in East Germany, East Germany was doing pretty well as, as far as communist states, they were number one, um, economically, um, in the Eastern Bloc. So, you know, the, the news that they got was from other Soviet countries and they they were just being paraded around as, hey, like our great, you know, German socialist brothers and uh, look at these plastic spoons from Poland and look at these plastic cups from East Germany and, you know, aren't we communists great? And there was this, you know, brotherhood among those countries, um, which was basically East Germany and a bunch of Slavic countries and that one Latin American island uh, called Cuba. Um, so, but other than that, just a bunch of Slavic countries, um, well, and Hungary, they're not, yeah, okay, so a couple examples, um, Romania, which is another example, they're not Slavic either, um, but still, yeah, it's just, just weird, weird, um, kind of thing, and the one thing they had in common was their ideology, so... Yeah, it wasn't because they were distinctly anti-nationalist because they, you know, they won the war against the Nazis. Okay, so anyways, what would you do? Because let's face it, a majority of the population was actually, in fact, deep down in their hearts, anti-communist. Um, so what do you do if you're anti-communist deep down? You, you basically got three choices. Um, you basically... You say, I'm putting your, my foot down and you try to escape or you try to fart the party or you try to um, spread Western ideas. Or, you know, you do something, you're, an, you're active. Um, that did happen. There are some, some heroes, anti-communist heroes out there and they'll all be brought up on the show. 
Um, but that was very risky and that was not something that was like recommended. It was, it was definitely taking, you had to be really mad for some reason because you're taking your life into your own hands. Like even just leaving and trying to escape, many, many people died. There's, you know, if you go to the museums in Berlin, you'll see all the crosses where just hundreds of people were shot and, and, um, you know, stepped on mines and all kinds of stuff in the, you know, on the iron curtain, the Berlin wall and, and the no man zones. So there was that, or um, the more, what most people did was, uh, the second option was, was just like, keep your head down, just muddle through it, hope that eventually things get better and just live your life, um, probably depressed, but just, you know, don't, don't join the party, but just, you know, try to show up for work and <laughs> get a C plus like yours truly in German. No, that's not. Well, in Germany, I did. <laughs> Anyways, the third option was just act, just act it, just sign the paperwork, join the party, show up to all the uh, party meetings and get that promotion, get that Trabant a little bit quicker, get those vacations approved because you're a trusted party member. So you actually get to go to Hungary and to the sea and, um, you know, that kind of thing, like harbor towns, harbor towns, not everybody was allowed to go there. Um, all the time, or you need, you know, you had to say you're going there. So, yeah, or even, hey, if you're in the party, you can actually go to West Berlin because they trust you. You're not going to defect. You know, you love East Berlin. You're going to go over there and show them what's what. Um, so you could, yeah, you could, even if you were like a musician, you had much better chances of being in the party because that meant you could, you would have a chance of traveling overseas and then defecting. So it wasn't, you know, many did take that, to, that, that option and just, toe the line until the chance came and then make a dash for it. But that was hard. That was not easy. Um, I think you would just go crazy after a while, but so many people did that actually. Um, because, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the proof is, is that after the, the wall fell, there was just, even in not just East Germany, but all over the place, there just, there was just no votes for the communist party at all in, in, it might be illegal and that party was definitely banned in, in Germany, but in um, there's communist parties still in Germany. And there was I lived under a communist um, socialist uh, coalition in the Czech Republic, but it wasn't a totalitarian dictatorship. It was a free market. But yeah, I, I lived in a country where the communist power uh, party was in power. Yeah, I've been to other countries where communist um, parties are, are in power, but it's different these days. Like I've been to Moldova and the communist party was in power. Um, but yeah, that, that's all, those are all different stories. Um, it, it, it means different things these days because the, the point here is not just, not just that they were communists, that they were, they were really totalitarian. Yeah, and it, like even being a party member, it just, you know, sometimes it just didn't pay off. You just had to do so much crap. You had to jump through so many hoops and do all this stuff. And you might get that Trabant, but you know, it was just, it was still rare. You still, you know, you couldn't show too much favoritism. They did. I mean, the party members were clearly better off, but in theory, everybody was supposed to be equal. So yeah, I mean, it would, it, you didn't even have a garage, like I said, in your apartment. So even if you were a party member, like, what are you going to do? Um, it's yeah, it's not like you have four, four cars in front of your house, like you guys do in Phoenix. And I mean, think about it. A Trabant would melt in Phoenix. Like, I think this might be a question for Mythbusters, but I'm pretty sure under certain conditions, a Trabant would melt in Phoenix. Now, you want a Coca-Cola, let's say, or some Levi's jeans. Levi's jeans, even actually if you had brand new spanking jeans um, in East Germany, like that was suspicious. You kind of had to wear them in really good before you could wear them out into, into public. Because if you had brand new jeans, um, yeah, you might get stopped and asked where you got them. So, but you could get a Coca-Cola 
and you could get some jeans if well if you couldn't just drive down to target there was there was first of all there was the black market so harbor towns had some ways of getting it berlin east berlin i mean the 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 border still there was yeah west west germans could go to east berlin especially in later years to visit um they could even work there but also to visit um relatives and such so they so yeah they could just bring stuff little things here and there but if they were caught with them you still might get in trouble or at least get asked so you had to have a legit reason and again even like a coca-cola it was just seen as like it's not necessary it's a it's a luxury item it rots your teeth what's the point it's like you don't need it better have some go you know drink some good tea or something like that and of course the socialist states didn't want competition they had their own versions of soft drinks even though they really sucked but even if you were a party member and you could afford it, you couldn't just go and buy a BMW. That would be highly suspicious. And they'd be like, why do you even want a BMW, comrade? I mean, you know, that's just, or they were called uh, Genosse, actually, is the German word for comrade. Anyways, but there were more and more legitimate reasons to have foreign currency over the years. And as this progressed, the, you know, you might have um, relatives in the U.S. Or, or England, you might have British pounds or dollars for some reason, but, but especially you might have West German marks because there was a lot of reasons to have that. And <clears throat> so now they have them, but they're also saving them to then spend them back in West Germany because they don't want to spend, there's nothing to buy them with. Their foreign currencies were actually illegal in East Germany. But the East German government would uh, would like to have these foreign currencies that their citizens now own because East the, East uh, the East German government, as the Soviet government and other communist governments, were low on foreign cash, foreign currencies. And Western currencies at the time were called hard currencies because they were based on the gold standard. Um, Eastern communist countries, that's not necessary because why keep gold around? Gold is the epitome of bourgeoisie and all that evil that you're talking about. No, no, no. You, as the state, you own all the companies and you uh, set all the salaries, which means you basically determine how much people can buy, which means you basically determine the value of the currency anyways, um, to, to, to a very large degree. But Western currencies, like you can't spell, you, you, at that time, you just, you know, no Western country would take Eastern currency apps. It was just paper. It was worth nothing. Um, there, of course there's exceptions, but generally speaking, no. So, the, the governments themselves would like to have a way to get currency, and they did this. They did this by setting up these stores called intershops. And an intershop is where the place you could buy a Coca-Cola or a Hi-Fi stereo or maybe some clothes you couldn't get um, there locally. So otherwise, black market. Black market was really the way to go, but it was really expensive. But if you could afford it, people saved up in black market, clearly, because not everybody was even allowed into intershops. You had to have a reason. You had to have, you had to exchange the foreign currency you had for vouchers. And then the vouchers are actually what you use at those intershops. Now, I did a whole episode that on that on Bohemian, so I'm just going to pretty much skip it. I gave it a little bit more detail in the German version and um, the history what I'll say is that other other countries had this too. So on the on Bohemian, we talked about the intershops in East Germany, the Tuzeks in Czechoslovakia, and the the Soviet version because we had somebody from Latvia on the show. Um, and I lived ten years in Prague, so I mean, I yeah. So so we kind of were comparing stories. But the point is that it started in East Germany. Why? Because East Germany again had this special condition where 
um, there was an island of the West right in the middle of the East. And I remember this like seeing this on cereal boxes when there was a map of Germany or something. There's a little weird West Germany shape with a dot, you know, off in the, off in the white space there somewhere. And that little dot in the white space was West Berlin. And in the early years, you couldn't even get there. It, so, you know, that was the whole story of like Truman's airlift, the air bridge to Berlin, and then um, Kennedy getting all mad at Khrushchev when he builds the wall and, you know, finally some some negotiation there. But, you know, you know what happens to Kennedy. But it, but eventually Khrushchev gave in and, or one of those guys, I don't even care, um, allowed the autobahns to be reopened and even a train, I think. I'm not going to go look it up. So I'm, I'm being a horrible role model here. But um, yeah, I mean, the point is that now you could go from East Berlin, uh, from, from West Germany to West Berlin. And I actually did this as a child. My dad, here's my one... East German story. I was in East, Ger East Germany one time and my dad at the time drove a 5 Series BMW. And so the deal is, is that you get on the Autobahns, you get a so-and-so amount of time to go so-and-so many miles or kilometers between these checkpoints and at the checkpoint so you, yeah so you get timed you got they write down your license plate and then they they radio ahead and they're like m so-and-so so-and-so is you know bmw is coming on its way and you better get there in 45 minutes an hour hour and a half whatever and at each time they check your passports and you know make sure it's the same people and that's that's how it's done so you can't just like pull off the highway and and, you know, get a couple of East Germans and then, you know, drive them across. Absolutely not. It's like heavily controlled even within East Germany. But like I said, my dad had a fast car, so he decided to drive faster than average. And um, so he gained a couple of minutes and we, we took the exit. We took one of the exits somewhere in some, I don't even know where, small town and drove around and he's like, look kids, we're in East Germany and okay. And he was probably sweating and, you know, pretty paranoid and jumped back on the, on the Autobahn and we headed off to, um, West Berlin. But on these motorways, there was actually quite a bit of traffic from West Germans and, and other countries didn't have these motorways. There was no way for Westerners to just, you know, drive through Czechoslovakia or Hungary or Romania. Absolutely not. But East Germany, yes. So they, um, they, East Germans came up with a sneaky little plan. Why don't we set up something called an intershop, which is, you know, like international shop. And that's where we'll actually sell imported stuff like coca-cola and levi's and just random stuff really like stereos it's like a tiny little um you know 7-eleven type store really in in most cases but sometimes bigger um but still tiny tiny compared to american grocery stores even um but but yeah stocked with just random random stuff from the west whatever it was. And then eventually they said, oh, why don't we allow people that do have foreign currency to go ahead and spend it there? But the side effect was is that all throughout the, the East Bloc, more and more citizens had radios that weren't locked down and can, can, could get Western channels or, um, you know, knew what they were missing out on. Even just by being allowed into the store, it, not everybody was. Most people could not even walk into those stores. But once you got a glimpse inside, it was just kind of like, wah, like, what am I missing? And you just saw all this stuff that you instantly wanted and was so expensive and you could only, you walked out of there with like a Mars bar, you know, and it was the best thing you ever had. And that's it. So 
At least it was the sweetest thing you ever had. It might have actually been, yeah, Mar yeah, American candy is too sweet for, for Germans. So there's a whole episode out there in English if you want to hear that. I gave, so I kind of gave a little bit more details in, in German. There was there was an intershop in the, in the one of the U-Bahn, the subway stations in Berlin even. That was the only one that actually had a window to the outside, like a display case really to the outside. And that was kind of weird because people could actually see some of the magazines and stuff that they were selling. Um, so it was really like, like Western advertisement was really seeping through in, in small little ways, like through the cracks with a devastating effect because the whole East German thing, the whole, the Berlin Wall, everything counted on the, on isolation. Without isolation, it just wouldn't work. The fact was, and the Communist Party knew this, deep down if they were honest with themselves, I mean, they were lying to everybody with propaganda and, and everything else, but deep down they knew that they were probably in a minority and they had to be tough and they had to rule with an iron fist in a totalitarian way uh, because otherwise, yeah, there would be a revolt and it would crack and it would be bad. So yeah, so I mean, as an example, I mean, my I had uh, Czech students when I when I taught German um, in Prague, I had uh, Czech students who would tell me like, yeah, we got one Coca-Cola in a glass bottle, you know, the little bottle at Christmas. And that like for Christmas dinner, we got a Coca-Cola and we sipped it, we enjoyed it. And, you know, at that point, I would explain to the that person what a 64 ounce double gulp at 7-Eleven is. And like, it's a drink with a straw that you actually consume in one sitting. And I used to have two of those a day when I was your age in college. And I'm a bad person. Do not drink a gallon of pop a day. Oh my God. Anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm skipping over so much here. So, I mean, you know, what a pub looked like, what a, I mean, I would say like a lot of those, some of those movies that take place in that time were filmed in Prague. And that's just part of the thing I love about Prague um, is that it's, you can still kind of get a glimpse of that. You definitely can, especially in the small cities, smaller towns. It's all there. The, the The bars haven't changed. You know, they got the one beer on tap and it's... It, it still might be state owned. It's all it's all still there in the Czech Republic in there. But yeah, I'm I'm just I'm glossing over a lot is my point. Like it's it's hard to give you a whole picture of just what everything looked like. It was just a weird, um, surreal alternate reality because there's just not any yeah, every billboard was different, every um shop sign, what was in display cases. It just it would it would just be sad and depressing to us. But that's all that's all they ever knew for a whole generation. Um, so it was all good, I guess, uh, to some degree. So, I, you know, I don't want to just like sit here and talk smack about it <laughs> because, you know, because, yay, we won and, you know, the communists lost. And um, but, yeah, it, it's just sad. It was sad. But but eventually people really started to realize and even the governments started to realize that it's not just the styles of clothes and the styles of cars and your oven and that kind of thing that is kind of out of fashion and falling further and further behind like developmentally but no it's it's and you're not just ideologically different anymore now you're also like te technologically different and falling behind and economically and even like medically like your hospitals are starting to really suck compared to west german hospitals um, you know who have some of the world's best so it's really starting to be like forget about ideology we just want you know, like proper healthcare and proper dental care and, um, you know, what our West German cousins have literally and, you know, that kind of thing. So very suddenly it was over and the episode's not because this is, this is actually important for East Germany. 
it, it really happened almost overnight, almost on accident, almost just escalated way quicker than, I mean, the party just instantly lost control. They, they lost their, you know, the vision that they were selling was just gone overnight. Just they, they allowed East Germans to, to cross the border and they did. They walked, I mean, East German, the party was probably lying to themselves. They were probably in denial because, um, you know, if you tried to criticize the party, that meant you went to jail or, or, or worse. So you didn't, which means they didn't hear any negative, you know, feedback, constructive criticism. They just, they were in denial about the real situation. And so when they did open the border a crack, just that was it. The country just up and left. <laughs> like the, the population, just a huge number of East Germans went to, to West Germany. Some of them went back eventually. Some of them didn't. And I, I lived there at the time when that happened. And, oh, I remember just from one day to the next, there was just trabants everywhere, just everywhere. And, um, yeah, it's just, and I, I grew up in Munich, so it's just, it's just crazy. Now, the thing is, is that that happened. And then just as quickly, the party was gone, Germany re reunited, and suddenly all those brands were gone because they didn't have to print new currency. They just had to print more of it because there was already a West German currency. There was already um, an SPD party that was functioning and, you know, out of Bonn and, and working and everything. And, and all they had to do was move back to Berlin. Um and CDU parties, you know, so, and, and they already had a, so the West Germany economy at that time was the third, it fought between second and third largest. At that time, it was the second largest economy in the world. West Germany was number two to America only. It went America, West Germany, and then Japan was always second or third throughout the years. And then um, China wasn't even in the picture yet, way back there. But then it'd be countries like um, Russia and and then other Europeans down the road. But Germany was a huge economic power. And those companies just said, yay, new market. And just, you know, all the German advertising, all the German brands just flooded over. And the East German nationalized brands, they tried to privatize some stuff, but it just shuttered it. They didn't even really try to privatize it, to be honest, compared to Czechoslovakia and Poland. Um, they just shuttered all those companies and just um, West Western companies set up shop overnight. And unemployment soared for a minute. And then, you know, so there was this, yeah, suddenly uh, West Germany actually slipped in place because they had to give East Germany so much money, just so much money over the years there. I don't want to say it out loud almost, but they're doing it to this day, 20 years later. Um, so it's just, it's just, yeah, it was a huge burden on them uh, to rebuild the whole country. And, and now go to Dresden, go to, go to East Berlin. Um, I liked it the way it was before better, but it's just beautiful now. It's all rebuilt and all that stuff. I kind of like my town scruffy. Um, Prague is almost, it's like, uh, it's, I mean, it's still gorgeous, but it's like when I moved there, it was scruffy. You saw the communism, um, First time I went to Budweiss, to uh, Chesky Budiovice, where the original Budweiser is from, the the original, the first one, the the only one really, the only one that's technically actually beer and not just some weird malt liquor with rice and corn in it. Um, that Budweiss in the Czech Republic, it's near the Austrian border. And the police station, you could still see where they had just, you know, recently, you could still see this, the the stain from on the wall from where they had just removed the red star, or the star at least. So, oh, it's just evidence was everywhere, and they're slowly being covered up. And East Germany, it just, they covered it up overnight as 
as fast as they could. It was just a shameful part of their history. Now they're reunited. Let's get past it. We're Germans again. There's no more East Germans and West Germans. And now what happened was, is that that means that it was a greater shock for East Germans than it was for other, even, yeah, I mean, it was a shock for everybody. Russia just collapsed. And I mean, yeah, it was a shock for, for Czechs and everything. But for East Germans, it was maybe the biggest shock. Um, because they just suddenly just didn't have anything anymore that they had yesterday. And that's hilariously portrayed in Goodbye Lenin, the movie, if you've, if you've seen it. So if you haven't, definitely go watch that. It's a, it's a funny movie. It's a great movie. But it has, like, on the day-to-day -day life, just, you know, what their living room looked like, they made it, that's, that's, a, that's a plot point of the movie. Um, so they, there's a lot of examples. They, they have name brands from back in the day. But in, you know, in comparison to that, so the Trabant, you can't buy a Trabant anymore. They're gone. Actually, they might bring it back, oddly enough, um, but they're gone. Um, and yet Škoda or Lada, the communist brands, you know, communist state-owned brands in the Czech Republic or Russia, those you can still buy today. Škoda is today owned by VW and, and they look kind of like a Passat or a Golf, you know, those cars. And they're everywhere in the Czech Republic. And Czechs love them because it's their own Czech brand, even if it's German-owned now. Um, Pilsner Urquell didn't, you know, East German beers, some of them died out, a lot of them. Thankfully, actually, I gotta say, those were horrible beers. Um, but Pilsner Urquell survived, and that's, I mean, that's a national treasure. And they just privatized it, and, and it, you know, it, it's, it's a huge brewery. And Budweiss is still state-owned. It's still, you know, state-owned, um, huge brewery that, you know, the state government sells beer, literally. That, that like, that's a fact. And they sell, they, they've been doing it since communist times, and they just didn't not do that. Um, I still got, so, I, you know, when I lived there, I got these, I got basically food stamps, but, like, like they were like lunch vouchers. I could go to McDonald's and get a Big Mac menu. Basically, the value of a Big Mac menu was that. I could go to a Czech restaurant and get like a chicken, beer, and you know mashed spuds, sauerkraut for that. It's like literally, it's like three dollars, five dollars maybe. Um, but that's that's what a meal cost in Czech Republic. And I still got like two, we're talking two thousand fifteen. That's, you know, I got those every month. I got one, one meal paid a day. It was vouchers. And then I also got vouchers to spend on entertainment, you know, tonight, you know, for, for work-life balance. And that ended up being like two movie tickets a month. Um, or you could go to the gym or you could get a massage or whatever. The state paid for that. So yeah, like I worked for an American company and I still got these socialist benefits to this day, like those still exist. Um, when I went to the doctor in, in Prague, I'd pay $1. And in fact, there was almost a riot over those 20 crowns because back in the communist days and the good old days, quote unquote, it was free. So just to pay a dollar for a doctor visit, um, prescriptions are all subsidized by the government. A, an ambulance ride uninsured would still be around, uh, it's a taxi ride. It's like 50 bucks. Um, here it's like 700, a thousand more. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, uncomparable. So yeah, I hope you guys go vote this election is what I'm trying to say. Yep. And, um, other than that, I'm happy that my colleague brought me, well, last time she went to Berlin, she brought me back a jar of Spreewelder pickles. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just watch Goodbye Lenin, please. Um, I now use that jar to keep my paintbrushes in. And that's pretty much, I know this is like, 
I, I, I'm barely scratching the surface. Patience, folks, it's coming. Um, this was a special request, so and I, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting history. So I, I've read a lot about it and and lived in you know former uh, Eastern Bloc countries for for uh, well for a decade, and um, and I lived in West Germany while this was happening. So uh, that's that's when I grew up. That's where and when I grew up. Um, so I, I, yeah, so I know about all this stuff and I'll, I'll definitely give it a lot of detail. Um, if you do want to hear more about this, we do talk about the communist time and even World War II and all that stuff on the Bohemian podcast. So you, I, you guys would get a kick out of it. There's a lot more about, um, li- what it's like to live, to live life under, under a communist party. And those are in English, only in English. So they don't work as a German exercise, but, um, yeah, there's a lot more detail there. And yeah, we talked about Prague and Central Europe and and in a lot of ways, I mean, there was German li- Germans living there forever. And so I, I bring that up a lot and talk about the German history of, of um, Bohemia and Moravia and Silesia and Eastern, um, well, yeah, East Prussia and, um, you know, all that stuff on, on other shows. And, and we'll come back to that here. Um, but yeah, if you want to see all my shows, go to podcastnik.com, podcastnik.com, you know, like Sputnik. Yeah, I lived in Prague. Um, and then there's also my new show there, Americana für euch, which is only in German. You guys probably get a kick out of it because it's just it's about U.S. history. Um, but really, the target audience is German. So um, which you might appreciate because, yeah, it is, it's just it's just like the exact opposite of what you guys are doing. And otherwise, the History of Germany podcast is a proud member of the Agora Podcast Network. If you run out of so I got Bohemian History of Germany in two languages, History of Alchemy. Um, Americana for euch, um, the secret cabinet, which is not safe for work or school, but Hey, go, those are, they're historic topics. They're just very crude topics. Um, but presented in, presented with class, they're not, the language is not crude in any way. That's all safe for work. Um, we're just talking about like, yeah, oh, I won't say it. I won't say it. Cause maybe you're listening to this in class. I don't want you all blush right now when I say Napoleon's penis or Hitler, Hitler's ball sack. You know, so, so yeah, I'm not going to mention any topics, but anyways, and maybe I shouldn't follow up with what I'm about to say now, but uh, the podcast of the month for Agora Podcast Network is American Biography uh, by Thomas Daly. I'm sorry, Tom, for bringing you up right after uh, Napoleon's penis, but this show, like I said, the transcripts will be up eventually when I get to it with a, with a ton of Leichtensfehler, but um, uh, Frau Enright can edit if she wants. I don't know. You know, I hope just as long as she doesn't grade it, don't use a red pen or write a letter grade next to it or a number grade, either one. Um, But yeah, otherwise, thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you guys around and, you know, follow me on Twitter on at Germany Podcast or at Podcast Nick and see see what else I'm up to and uh, come come German at me and, you know, get some get some practice in all that good stuff. And thanks again for listening. I'm sorry this was so late, but do, do I still get like partial credit? Because I had it all recorded and edited. You're never going to believe this, but I was just about to upload the assignment. And then, well, like first there was this big bright light. I got a woof of sulfur and then suddenly. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.